0: Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. You know, the thing about these seven deadly sins, each one of the seven sins denies a truth of God's Word. It denies a truth of what God has for you. For instance, gluttony denies the limits of consumption. That's the fill in the blank there that you need. Gluttony denies the limits of consumption. Now, laziness, on the other hand, laziness denies the limits of faithfulness. Laziness denies the limits of faithfulness. They're deadly. They will hurt you. They will bring you down. They will destroy you. Now, when you talk about gluttony in the Bible, there's really three areas that the Bible talks about. The first one is obvious. It talks about food. Eating too much food is, is gluttony. When you cannot control your appetite and you eat more, that's that. The other way that it talks about gluttony is in that of substance abuse, like alcohol or, or drugs. Uh, that's also described as gluttony. And the other way, the way you might be surprised, is sex. It's this insatiable desire you have for sex, specifically sex outside the confines of matrimony. So that's the three areas that the Bible talks about, this idea uh, of gluttony. So we live in a world where we want to supersize everything, right? We want to supersize Coke. We want a supersize coffee. We want supersized hamburgers, supersized french fries. We want everything supersized. I am still waiting for a supersized uh, butterfinger blizzard. Oh, man, I just cannot wait. Uh, amen, right? I well, just can't wait for a super-sized butterfinger blizzard. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking forward to that when they come up with it. Uh, uh, several About last year, I went to the doctor. I went this year, too, but last year I went to the doctor, and the doctor looked at me, and he said, hey, you're doing pretty good. You know, I wish he would have said I'm a fine physical specimen, but he didn't say that. Uh, now, that's what I always say when my wife asked me what the doctor said. He said, I'm a fine physical specimen. That's not what he says. Uh, he, so he, he asked me how I'm doing. I said, I'm doing pretty good. He says, well, okay. He said, I got some concerns for you. He said, you've gained a little weight since the last time I saw you. Now, many of you don't know this, but I've gained 25 pounds since I've been back in Texas. It's the Mexican food, the chicken fried steak. Uh, it's, the blue, it's the blizzards, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he was a little concerned. And, and so, so he said this. He said, Bruce, he said, Mr. Worley, but uh, uh, I looked around for my dad, but then I realized he's talking to me. And he said, uh, he said, Mr. Worley, he said, I got some news for you. If you don't lose some weight, it will slow you down. It will slow you down. He says, is there any particular reason that you've gained this weight? And I said, well, I was thinking about doing a sermon on gluttony next year, and I needed a good sermon illustration. Uh, no, that's not what I said. Uh, I said, no, no particular reason. But, you know, I'm in training. I'm in training for that super Butterfinger blizzard. I've got to work up to it, you know? But then I think about what he said. It will slow me down. It will slow me down. And the thing about it, folks, I do not want to be slowed down in this thing we call the Christian life. I don't want anything to hinder me in my ability to run the race that Christ has marked out for me. I don't want to do that. So so I want to take this seriously, and I want to deal with this idea of this gluttony. Now, is there anything wrong with food? Of course not. Uh, I like to eat. You like to eat. Matter of fact, some of you are suffering from the Dunlop disease. You know what that is? Dunlopped over yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Some of you like to eat a little bit more than the rest of us. You know, we like food and there's nothing wrong with food. Food is good for you. Uh, I, I recommend it three times a day if, if, if you can. It's good for you. So, food is, is not the issue. The problem is when we, we don't control this appetite for food, it hurts our ability to do the things that we need to be doing. It slows us down, it hinders us in our ability to do what God has asked us to do. I learned an interesting fact this past couple of weeks as I was researching this sermon. I learned that this generation is passing down to the next generation a shorter lifespan. In other words, my children and my grandchildren will live shorter lifespan than I'm living. Why is that? Because of gluttony. Because we're passing down obesity and we're passing down too much weight to our children and our grandchildren. That concerns me. I want my children to live longer than I live. And I'm looking to live a long time. I want my children to live longer than me. I want my grandchildren to live longer than me. So we've got to get control on this issue of gluttony. We've got to deal with it. What we're doing in the world is we're creating little clones of ourselves and we're perpetuating this problem in our next generation. And the same is true in alcohol. You know, I don't want to talk about the goods and, and bads or the evils of alcohol. I don't want to do that. But alcohol abuse is at an all time high. And you'd be surprised at the number of 12 to 21 year olds who are, are, are suffering from alcohol abuse. It's off the pages. And, and there's something wrong. And what we're doing is we're passing down to each generation our gluttonous abuse of alcohol. And we're passing it down. To them where it's not that big a deal. And don't get me started about this gluttonous drive for sex. Uh, You'd be amazed what the 13, 14, 15 year olds are doing now. Stuff that we didn't even think about doing. Uh, They're doing it now with multiple partners. And it's okay in their idea. We've created this gluttonous drive for sex. But we want to be victorious, don't we? Don't we want to win this war? We want to be victorious over this drive that we have. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, these words, verses 18 and 19. He's talking about a group of individuals in the church. He says, for as I often told you before, now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. He says, in other words, all these guys are doing is living to satisfy their desires. They're living to satisfy their cravings, this gluttonous appetite for more and more. And as a result, they can't do the things they need to be doing. Gluttony. It's a problem, and we got to deal with it. But not only is gluttony bad, laziness is bad as well. Laziness talks about what do we do with our idle time? What do we do with the time that's on our hand? I was reading the past couple of weeks from the A.C. Nielsen Company. A.C. Nielsen Company is a company that, that monitors your, your te- television viewing, who's watching what, how many hours they're watching. And what I discovered is that the average person, I know y'all are above average, so this doesn't apply to y'all, okay? The average person watches six hours and 14 minutes a day in television. Six hours and 14 minutes a day. That probably goes up during March Madness, okay? That that equals up to 2,240 hours a year. 2,240 hours a year, that kind of hit home to me. Uh, a lot of you know, I'm, I'm a television junkie. You know, I, that's what I am. You know, I'll come home from work and I'll come home from work and, you know, first thing I'll do, I'll turn on the news. I'm a news junkie. I want to know what's going on in the world. I, I want to know the current events. I want to know what's happening. And I'll watch the news and I'll watch the news and I'll watch the news. The next thing you know, I'm flipping a channel for a ball game. Got to find a ball game. I mean, if it's a ball game on, I want to watch it. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. Did y'all see Texas Tech the other day? I didn't get to see it because I was trying to monitor my TV. Okay, <laughs> uh, so so uh, y'all, but I find myself there. and then after the ball game, I, I turn to a movie or to a show, and when the movie or the show is over, I find myself channel searching to find something I can't watch. The point is, it's 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 a habit that 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 we get into, and we fall into that into that trap. 2,240 hours a year do you know what we could have done with that 2,240 hours a year we could have volunteered to the church we could have volunteered at the hospital we could volunteer at Parkdale and say I'm going to read 30 minutes a day to some kid at school I'm going to come up here and I'm going to help fold the vision I'm going to help fold the bulletin Hey, I'm going to come up here and vacuum the floor Anything, you could have used that here in the church or someplace else, serving others and ministering to others instead of wasting that time. I was reading the other day that the average young American, by the time they die, they will spend 18 years watching television. 18 years watching television. You know how much time the average American teenager spends in reading a book a year? Five hours five hours, five hours reading a book, but they would spend 18 years of their life watching television. Listen, any fleshly appetite would die if you stop feeding it. If you just don't feed it, it will die. And those who, who, who are disciplined, they are the ones who are really free to live their life the way God intended them to live it. I was reading a, a story this past uh, month or so about how an Eskimo kills a wolf. And what an Eskimo does, an Eskimo takes a razor-sharp knife and he dips it into a bucket of blood. And then he pulls the knife out and the blood freezes on the knife. He puts it back into the blood, it freezes. And he does this until the entire bucket of blood is frozen on that knife. He's made a blood popsicle, okay? That's what he's done, all right? And then he takes that and he puts it in the snow and he buries it in the snow and he goes to bed. The wolf craves blood. So the wolf, in craving the blood, it smells the scent and it goes and it circles that knife looking for an opportunity to pounce. And then it pounces on it. His drive for the blood caused him to chomp on that and chomp on it and chomp on it and chomp on it until eventually he's not chomping on the blood anymore. He's chomping on his own blood. And in the morning, the Eskimo gets up And he finds a wolf who bled to death. Why is that? Because he couldn't control his desires. He couldn't control his own impulses. Listen, that will happen to you and it will happen to me if we do not get control of this. If we do not nip this in the bud. If we don't solve it now. It will bring us down. They're called deadly sins because they're deadly. And they will kill us if we're not careful. Did you know that a small hole in a ship is just as bad as a big hole in a ship? Having been in the Navy, I know this, okay? You do not want a hole in your ship in the Navy. You don't want it. Now, a big hole will will cause a ship to sink a lot faster, but a small hole will cause a ship to sink also. It just takes longer for it to happen. Now, I know what you're saying because I say the same thing. But but preacher, I, I have just a little weakness over here. Surely that's not that bad. Surely it's not that bad. It's just a little hole. It's just a little hole in your life. Surely it's not that big of a deal. I don't know. Maybe you're like me. I want to win this war. I want to win this war for life. So what do we do? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and following. You can turn there, but I'll have it on the screen for you if you want it. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, uh, to the end of the chapter, Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? (laughs) He's obviously not writing to this generation, is he? Everybody gets a participation trophy. That's not what Paul says, is it? He says that only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is saying you have to live this life intentionally. You have to intentionally live this thing we call the Christian life. Paul says, he puts himself in training. You find yourself training for this race, this this thing that you're doing, and you're in training for it. You're in a war for life. And and Satan's going to throw these deadly sins at you, and he's going to tempt you. He's going to try to trap you. He's going to lure you away. And so you've got to exert self-control over yourself in order to gain the victory. You've got to be able to pull yourself in, rein yourself in from satisfying these urges that you have. You've got to pull yourself in so that you can restrain yourself from the passions and desires so that they do not get control of your life. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power, of love, and listen, and self-discipline. In other words... God gives us the power of self-discipline through the Holy Spirit. And what does Paul say the fruit of the Spirit is? Listen to this, Galatians 2, 5, 22-23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? self I am so glad that one of the the gifts of the Spirit is self-control. He gives that us the ability to have self-control. It's a gift from God. That's how we're going to combat these two sins of gluttony and laziness. You know what I like about the the Holy Spirit being or the self-control being a fruit of the Holy Spirit? If you understand the the wording of the Holy Spirit, it means that He comes alongside us. He comes alongside. He doesn't replace us, but He comes alongside us, and He helps us in the midst of it. He helps us overcome these things. He gives us that that, that control that we need. That doesn't mean He's going to do it for us. See, that's what we want, isn't it? We want, okay, Holy Spirit, do it for me. I'm not going to do anything, but you're going to do it for me. Ain't nothing ever going to work like that. He says. the Holy Spirit's going to help you do what you need to do, but you've got to do something about it. You've got to take some type of control in your life, and the Holy Spirit's going to work with you. God says, look, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and He's going to come alongside you and enable you and give you this ability for self-control. But there's going to be some things you have to do. But the Spirit of God is going to empower us to live a life of of wholeness, the life of health, and the life of well-being, and the life of freedom. Another way you could look at this is it means exerting self-leadership in our lives, taking control of our lives. Listen, how are we going to lead our families if we can't lead ourselves? How are we going to lead the next generation if we can't lead ourselves? How are we going to lead someone else if we can't lead ourselves? We've got to take control of this. I want to give you some things that are going to help you. And we'll be done in a a few minutes. I'm going to give you some things that will help you. Here it is, write this down. God has given us standards and convictions in His Word that will help us to be free from those things that will bring us down. If you're filling in the blanks, there they are standards and convictions. I want you to put that down. This will be something you can remember. God has given us standards and convictions in His Word that will set us free from those things that will bring us down. Now, what's a standard? A standard is a scriptural, non-optional truth that is stated in God's Word as His will for your life. In other words, it's not debatable. You can't argue with it. It's truth and it's non-optional. Let me give you some, some examples. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God says this. Are you ready? Ready? He says, Any sex outside of marriage is wrong. Any sex outside of marriage is wrong. That's his standard. That's not an option. That's not a discussion. That is his standard. And here's the thing: that is God's standard for Asians. That is God's standard for Africans. That is God's standard for Latinos. That is God's standard for Anglo-Saxons. That is God's standard regardless of your race. It's non-negotiable. We don't debate that. That's His standard. Now, there'll be some people say, Oh, but you know, we're engaged and we're so in love. No. God says, Sex is confined to a marriage relationship between a man and a woman in a relationship. Anything outside of that is against God's standard. End of discussion. And listen, it doesn't matter that the young people in the world today, those 12 to 21 year olds, it does not matter that they say God's word is passe, God's word is irrelevant, it is God's word, it's not debatable. That's His standard that He's created, not us. But by the same token, There's a conviction. A conviction is this. A conviction is a personal belief that is based upon your personal walk with God. Write it down. A conviction is a personal belief that is based upon your walk with God. There are convictions that you have that may not be my conviction. There may be a conviction that I have that's not your conviction. That's okay. That's that's debatable. God says, go to the Word of God and develop these convictions, and, and see what the principles, see what the standards are, and, and, and then God has given you the freedom in your life to make that decision. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 8. Here's what he says, basically. He says, there's some people in the church at Corinth, you know they were Baptists because they didn't agree on anything. You know how you can tell you got two Baptists? They have three opinions. And here, so he goes in and some people in the first church, first church at Corinth, they like meat. But there were some people in the church, church at first, Corinth, first church at Corinth that like vegetables. Paul said, that's a matter of conscience. That's a matter of your decision. There were some people in the first church at Corinth that they said, you know, this day is holy. And there's others that said, this day is holy. And this is what Paul said in that situation. He said, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And then he says, but don't judge the others who may have a different conviction than you do. In other words, that's a non-debatable issue. Not, we're not talking about sex outside of marriage, okay? That's the principle. We're talking about a conviction. So, so what does that look like in, in, in everyday life? Well, take social drinking. There could be some people here or maybe in another denomination... Uh, that it's okay to social drink. There may be somebody else that says, no, it's not okay to socially drink. It's a matter of conviction for that individual. Other people might say, you can't go to the movies. Ain't no way you can go to the movies. Somebody said, movies are okay. Movies are neutral. It's a matter of personal conviction. But hear, hear me on this. But if God has convicted you that you should not do it, then don't do it. But don't use your personal convictions to condemn somebody else. That's a conviction God has given you. He has not given on them. You see, what we have going on in the church today, we have a lot of people that have convictions, but they're trying to put it on other people as well. Deal with the principles. God will deal with the convictions. This is what, what we see He's telling us. It's a matter of personal conviction, but it's different than a standard. That is a conviction. And God says you got to have these truths that will guide your life. Live your life according to God's word. Here's some great scriptures to look up. Just write them down real quick. Here they are Ephesians 5, the whole chapter. Oh, I got to read a whole chapter. I don't think I have five minutes. Yeah, it's because you're watching television. I know. Read Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, Romans 12. Go to that Word. What's God saying in there? What's He communicating in that? And when, you, and when you go to the Word of God in these areas, and you're looking at it, ask the Lord this question. Lord, is there anything in my life that's out of control? Lord, is there anything in my life that has control of me instead of me having control of it? Lord, is there a small hole in my ship? Ask yourself those questions. Let me give you four questions real quick. Here they are. They're they're, they're on your your, your bullet there. Uh, I don't put those in there just because I need something to do during the week. I actually put those in there so that you can write this stuff out, tear out that section, put it in your Bible. Guess what? You can go back and teach this sermon to anybody else. What a great time. You're sitting at Chick-fil-A or you're sitting at Starbucks. You said, let me share with you what my pastor said. Man, you got a problem. Here's how you can deal with it. Here they are real quick. You're looking at the Scripture. When you look at the Scripture, ask this question. Is what I'm dealing doing pleasing to God? Is there something in my life that I'm doing that's not pleasing to God? That's question number one. Question number two. Does this activity help me grow as a Christian? Second question. Does this activity help me grow as a relationship? In other words, is my relationship with God growing stronger because of this activity? Third question. Will what I am involved with hurt another person? If what you're doing causes harm to another person, you might need to reconsider it. And here's your fourth one. Does this activity bring me under its control? In other words, is it controlling me or am I controlling it? Because if it's controlling you, you know what that is, don't you? It's called an idol. It's an idol. Anything that has taken the place of God in your life is an idol. And if it's controlling you and you're not controlling it, then it's, it's an idol. You need to get rid of it. So you, you, you got this thing you're dealing with? Go to the Scripture and ask those questions. And ask God. Say, God, what are you saying to me? God, is there something in my life that's out of control? Lord, how can I deal with this situation? Lord, I want to be your champion. God, I want to win the race. And the thing I love about Hebrews says to win the race that God has marked out for you. God has already marked it out for you. He's got it laid out for you to do. He says, are you going to win that race? Are you going to run that race? He said, then get yourself under control and do the things that are going to help you run the race and not hinder you in the race. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to have the praise team come on up, give you an opportunity to respond here's what I want you to do. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And as I'm praying and and you're listening in this ear, and then you're going to be praying silently and listening in the other ear, I want you to ask this question, God, is there anything in my life that's out of control? Anything. Ask Him that question and say, Lord, today, would you help me get rid of that? Today, Lord, would you allow your Holy Spirit to work in my life to help me bring this under control. That's it. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a prayer? Father, we come before you this morning. Actually, Father, I believe it's this afternoon. come before you, Father, recognizing, Lord, there's not a one of us in this room that, Lord, that say we have it perfectly got it figured out. That, God, we have everything under control. But, God, that doesn't mean that we don't want to. So we just pray, God, that you will help us to fix our lives. That, Father, you will reveal to us the weaknesses, the disabilities, Lord, that we have. Lord, those tendencies that we have, Father, to lean toward bad habits instead of good habits. Help us, Father, to bring our bodies under control. Yes, Lord, with gluttony. Yes, Lord, with laziness. But, Father, anything else that we can add to that. We pray, Father, you'd speak to our hearts today and reveal your truth to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.